me just uh, invite you to think for a moment about people who've been an example over the course of your life. Um, people who've maybe had an influence on you. So if you've got a few years under your belt, maybe think back over, you know, the number of years. Who are some of the people that come to mind? Maybe if you've got a few less years, you know, maybe it's more current. Who are the people in your life that are an influence or an example that you look to? And uh, a number of people come to mind for me. Uh, one is my dad, and I'm just going to say happy birthday, dad. I forgot to text you before uh, this morning, if you're watching, which I think you might be. Happy birthday. Um, and my dad's been an example to me, uh, an example of honesty and integrity, hard work, generosity, uh, love. You know, maybe you can think of family members who've had an influence like that over you, who've, who've been an example. Uh, soccer coaches come to mind that, you know, had an influence on me and, and were an example of commitment and teamwork and, and things like that. Maybe there's teachers or musicians or people that come to mind as an example. Who's been a, a powerful example in your life? And you might think of both positive and negative, right? People that maybe you don't want to emulate or live your life like. People who've had that kind of an impact on you as well. People, people have influence on us and often there's, you know, sort of uh, milestone type people over the course of our lives who will have an influence on us. Uh, in the context of parenting, often we talk about uh, a, a little slogan in parenting that there's more is caught than taught. Have you ever heard that before? More is caught than taught. You know, often, you know, parents are guilty of lecturing their kids. Of course, I don't ever do that, right? No. <laughs> Maybe once in a while. Um, but the, the argument is that our kids will catch more than we teach them. It's our example that will speak. And you could maybe debate that, uh, that saying, and maybe it would be more accurate to say that the combination of what we teach and what we live, those two together could be a powerful example uh, of teaching and learning, right? If somebody instructs us how to live and then gives us an example of how to do it, that can be a really powerful recipe to, to help us learn and grow and develop. And uh, again, I can think of people <clears throat> over the course of my life, you know, I mentioned my dad, uh, a Sunday school teacher comes to mind. When I was in grade five, grade five boys Sunday school class, how many of you would like to volunteer to teach a grade five boys Sunday school class? I remember my grade five Sunday school teacher, his name was Randy. And what I remember about him is not so much what he taught us every week, but the fact that he welcomed us every week into a classroom and he got to know us personally and he asked us how our week was and, and the highs and the lows of our week and, and how we were doing and, and we would pray together and kind of share life together with Randy. He was a, a powerful influence in my life and others come to mind. So maybe you can think of some people who've been powerful examples. And this morning what we're gonna be looking at is the passage of scripture in Philippians chapter three starting in verse 17, where Paul really invites the Philippian believers to follow his example. And maybe Paul, as a master teacher, knew the, the power of both word and deed. You know, teaching how to live, but then also modeling the lifestyle and inviting people to follow. So we're going to look at this idea of uh, the power of example when it comes to following Jesus. And who are the people that are influencing us? Who are the people that are examples in our life? Who are the people that are leading us to Jesus? Who are we following Jesus with uh, together? 
So if you've got your Bibles, uh, you can turn to Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 17, and we'll read down to chapter 4, verse 1. Um, The passage will be on the screen as well if you don't have your Bible with you. Um, If you have the power to change whatever translation you're in, I'll be reading from the New International Version uh, if that helps you to follow along. So let me just read uh, God's word for us this morning. And again, this is Paul writing to the Philippians Uh, the church in Philippi. He says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, You whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Let's just pause and invite Jesus to speak to us from his word. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your servant, Paul, who penned these words that we're looking at this morning. We thank you that it was your word to your church in Philippi a couple thousand years ago, and we can embrace it as your word for us today. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to activate your word this morning, that you would speak uh, to our hearts, that uh, we would have ears to hear what you have to say, that we would have hearts willing to receive your word this morning, that we would uh, chew on your word and allow you to apply it to our lives so that our lives would look more and more like you, Jesus. So speak to us this morning, we pray in your name, amen. So as we look at this passage, um, it's kind of three, three main ideas we're going to look at uh, this morning. Uh, first is this idea of let's follow those who follow Jesus. And I'm just going to make an assumption that if you are here this morning or you're tuning in online, you're, you've opened your word, you're, we've invited Jesus to speak, that you have some desire to follow Jesus. And maybe there's a spectrum of where that desire is. Maybe you're just sort of curious you know, mildly interested, maybe you're deeply committed and passionate. Uh, Wherever you are on that spectrum, I believe um, there's something for us to hear this morning about following Jesus. And it starts with his invitation to follow those who follow Jesus. Everybody is following somebody, right? Uh, whether it's on TikTok or Instagram or Facebook or, you know, in your, your life, uh, the people that you know, we're all following somebody. And the question is, you know, are you following anyone who's following Jesus? Because that's the invitation this morning. Let's follow those who follow Jesus. And Paul, in verse 17, invites the Philippians to join together in following his example. That's where he starts. 
And if we were to do a bit of an overview of the book of Philippians, and maybe I would encourage you to do this later, maybe today or this week. It's only four chapters long. It really doesn't take long to read through this book, this letter from Paul to the Philippians. But throughout this letter, he's talking a lot about his personal journey. He's revealing uh, bits and pieces about himself to us. And so if we were to do a bit of an overview of Philippians, you know, what do we learn about Paul and his example that he's inviting the Philippians to follow? So I'll just point out a couple things um, that I think are important for us to notice. In chapter 1, in the very first verse, first verse 1 of chapter 1, Paul introduces himself. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. He's given himself a title, you know, or a label of how he would describe himself. I'm a servant of Christ. And he goes on to write, and this idea of what it looks like to be a servant is sort of unpacked as we go through Philippians. Another thing that we see in verse 13, and we've talked about this, our series is called Joy Unlocked because Paul is literally in lockdown. He's in prison. And in verse 13, he talks about this idea that he's in chains for Christ. So I don't know if he's inviting the Philippians to follow his example all the way to jail. I don't know if that's where we're supposed to go with this. But this idea that Paul is suffering in some, on some level for his commitment to Jesus. As a servant of Christ, he's now found himself imprisoned for Christ. He's in chains for Christ. But he's rejoicing in the midst of his suffering. Verse 18, he talks about how because he's in jail, the gospel, the good news about Jesus is being preached by many more people. And because of that, he rejoices. So in the midst of his suffering, he's able to rejoice. These are some things that we might pick up on his example, things that we might be encouraged to emulate in our lives. In chapter 3, which Pastor Terry talked about last week, the beginning of chapter 3, Paul talks about uh, verse 7. He says, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, for whose sake I have lost all things. Basically, Paul said goodbye to his old life to embrace a new life in Christ. He sacrificed his reputation And the things that were important to him, he he left those things behind in order to embrace the fullness of knowing Christ. And then in verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul's example through Philippians models servanthood. I'm a servant of Christ. It models suffering in prison, sharing in the sufferings of Christ. It models sacrifice, giving up the things that were once important to him in order to embrace the fullness of knowing Christ. These are just some of the things we see in Paul's example and what he's inviting the Philippian believers to follow in him. But then back in our passage in verse 17, he says, join together in following my example and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So he's inviting the Philippians not only to follow him, he probably acknowledges that he's not perfect, but follow us. Follow those of us who are following Jesus. And again, if we were to look through Philippians and we've talked about this in the past, a couple other people show up in this, this letter In chapter 2, verses 20 to 22, Paul talks about Timothy. 
And he, you could look at Timothy and his example. And what Paul commends in Timothy, he says, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself. What Paul's saying is that Timothy is the kind of guy who's put Jesus first in his life. And because he's put Jesus first, he's willing to set his interests aside for the interests of others and to serve others. He goes on to mention Epaphroditus in verses 25 to 30 of chapter 2. And Epaphroditus was on the verge of dying. He says that he risked his life for the work of Christ. And how meaningful that was to Paul, that that Epaphroditus was willing to sacrifice his own health and well-being in order to serve and support Paul in the work of the gospel. These are just a couple of examples in Philippians, and Paul's inviting the Philippian believers to follow their example. So for us here today, it's an invitation. Let's follow those who follow Jesus. Let's follow Paul. Let's follow Timothy. Let's follow Epaphrodites. Let's follow others in our midst, in our circles, who are following Jesus. So I'll ask a question. Who are the examples in your life that you're following? Who are the people in your life that are following after Jesus that you're saying, I want to follow them as they follow Christ? Who are the people that are rubbing off on you? And by the way they live their lives are are demonstrating and modeling what life in Christ looks like. And if you don't have those people, maybe this is an opportunity to think about who might some of those people be that I could begin following after. Let's follow those who follow Jesus. The second thought that I want us to kind of camp on in this passage is, is a question. How do we know who's following Jesus? How do we know who's following Jesus? And the reason I want to ask that question this way is I think we live in a world where Jesus actually gets talked about quite a bit or religion gets talked about quite a bit or Christianity gets talked about quite a bit. And we live in a a world that's full of celebrities who often make reference to Jesus or faith or religion or Christianity or the church And it might cause us to wonder, you know, who's actually following Jesus? And you could look at examples in politics or entertainment. I remember, right, right now is award season is starting up, right? Oscars and Emmys and Grammys and all of those things where they hand out, you know, the shiny idols to celebrities who've made a difference in our world. Maybe, I don't know. Anyways, a little tongue-in-cheek. But when I was a kid, I remember watching the Grammys, and some of these celebrities would get up, you know, these musicians that I listen to and think, oh, they're awesome. And then they'd start off by saying, I just want to thank God. And and I would think, oh, I didn't know that person was a Christian. I don't know for sure if they were a Christian, right? How do we know who's following Jesus? Or today's Super Bowl, right? Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, I don't know who to cheer for because my Packers lost a couple weeks ago. I was really depressed for a couple days there. But uh, it's Super Bowl Sunday. And at the end of the Super Bowl, there'll be a a group of some of those players will get together and they'll pray at midfield because that's what a bunch of them do every week. How do we know? Are they, are they actual followers of Jesus? And it's not, I'm not trying to judge anyone or say that we should be judging anybody. But I think this passage actually gives us some indicators, some clues about who are the people that we should be following. Who are the true followers of Jesus that we should be modeling our life after? And Paul starts into this question by talking about, first of all, all, who's not following Jesus? 
Who's not following Jesus? So verse 18, he says, For I as, as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross. And Paul might be talking about just the world at large, people who've rejected Jesus. He might be talking about them, but I think he's actually probably talking about those who profess to have some level of faith in Christ, but they actually live as enemies of the cross. And the reason I think that is because earlier in the chapter, as Pastor Terry talked about last week, we were warned about these religious people who, who looked at their outer behavior or the exterior realities of spirituality is, you know, that was where they put their faith in. And I think Paul's maybe picking up into that conversation. And he's saying, even with tears, there are many who live as enemies of the cross. And he goes on to unpack what that looks like. Verse 19, their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. So if you think about it, there might be some who claim to follow Jesus, but maybe they actually live as enemies of the cross, described as, you know, their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, which is just just another way of saying their appetites, their self-interest, their desires are what drive them to live the way they live. They're not actually embracing the cross of Christ. They're living for their own selfish appetites. And then he says, their glory is in their shame. And we could really dive into this idea of shame here, but the contrast with the, the cross, the cross was a symbol of shame in Roman culture. If you died a death on a cross, it was the most humiliating and shameful way to die. And it was so shameful that it would actually bring shame on your family. So if I had done something wrong and went you know, was punished by being put to death on a cross, it not only shames me, it shames my family and anybody associated with me. And the cross was the tool that God used to bring peace between us and him by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross, the most shameful way, the most humiliating way to die. And what Paul's saying here is that enemies of the cross of Christ are trying to avoid that kind of shame and humiliation in the world They're trying to bring glory to themselves, and by bringing glory to themselves, it's what's going to ultimately bring them shame. It's like a reversal going on. And so those who don't follow Jesus are living for their own selfish interests, their own appetites, their own glory, and their minds are set on earthly things. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, right? Set your minds on things above, Paul says in Colossians. But enemies of the cross, their minds are firmly planted in the things of this world. And they're not thinking about the kingdom. Those are the people who are not following Jesus. So if there are some who claim to follow Christ, but their lives are evidenced by these, the way that Paul's describing these enemies of the cross, then we've got to wonder whether they're actually following Jesus. So then, who is following Jesus? What do they look like? And that's where we move on. There's an important word when you're reading scripture, if the word but shows up, it's like a transition word between, you know, here I'm talking about something, but we're going to talk about sort of the opposite or we're going to contrast it. And he says in verse uh, 19, sorry, verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. 
You know, we're not like the enemies of the cross whose minds are set on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our minds are set on the kingdom of God, the things of heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. As citizens of heaven, our lives are to look different. We are to embrace the way of the cross. We're not to be enemies of the cross like Paul has just talked about. We're to embrace the way of the cross. We're to embrace our Savior, Jesus, who went to the cross. And that word Savior is another interesting one in this culture A savior would have been somebody with tremendous military might and power, you know, somebody who would come and and bring armies with him to destroy the the enemy and and bring victory. And and that would be the kind of savior that people in Roman culture would wait for and long for. But our savior was a different kind of savior. And if you remember back to Philippians chapter 2, you can, if you want to flip there, you can. I'm just going to make reference to a few verses there. But our Savior who came from heaven is a different kind of Savior than what the world would be looking for. Our Savior Jesus, chapter 2, verse 6, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Our Savior stepped out of heaven and went to the lowest of lows, the most humiliating path that somebody could take in that culture to ultimately die on a cross. Our Savior's life was represented by humility or humiliation setting aside his rights as God to become a servant. We've heard that word before in Philippians. Paul mentioned being a servant of Christ. Jesus came to serve. He came to humble himself, to take the form of a human being, and he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. Our Savior is a different kind of Savior. And if we embrace Jesus as our Savior, we're embracing the way of the cross, which is very different than the way these enemies of the cross would live. If we're embracing Jesus, we're embracing his way of servanthood. We're embracing his way of sacrifice. We're embracing his way of suffering. Those are the things that Jesus did. And it says after he died that death on the cross, verse 9 of chapter 2, it says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place. Because Jesus was willing to lower himself and humble himself, God the Father exalted him. And as friends of the cross, as citizens of heaven, as those who are following Jesus, we are to humble ourselves. We are to embrace servanthood and suffering and sacrifice and let Jesus do the work of exalting us. Enemies of the cross try to bring glory to themselves. Friends of the cross let Jesus bring our glory to us. Friends of the cross, let Jesus raise us up as we humble ourselves. So how do we know who's following Jesus? 
Maybe a, a more relatable example from Jesus' life would be in John chapter 13 at the Last Supper with his disciples. And when Jesus gathered his friends, his disciples around the table, he actually lowered himself again, humbled himself by picking up a basin of water and a towel. And he went around and began washing his disciples' feet. Now that wasn't an unusual thing for someone to wash feet in that culture. That was actually really normal. The unusual part about that event was that Jesus, the disciples' master and teacher, the the one who was over them, humbled himself and lowered himself below them and took on the form of a servant and washed their feet. A servant, a slave was supposed to be doing that job, but Jesus embraced the job of a slave in that day and age, and he washed his disciples' feet. And at the end of doing that, they were all confused, wondering, you know, some of them resisted, Jesus, you can't do this, you're our master, our teacher, you can't wash our feet. And at the end of it all, Jesus says, I know that was really weird, that's my translation. Uh, He didn't actually say that. He said something along the lines of, I've set for you an example that you should serve one another the way I've served you. So maybe we can't really identify with the cross metaphor, but maybe we can identify with a towel. Followers of Jesus are willing to pick up a towel and serve to humble themselves. There's no task that's beneath any of us. We're all equal. And we're followers of Jesus will pick up a towel and serve one another in love. So how do we know who's following Jesus? Who's willing to embrace servanthood, sacrifice, suffering for the sake of Jesus? How do we know who's following Jesus? He says in Mark chapter 8, verse 34 and 35, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross or their towel and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. Paul and Timothy and Epaphrodites, who we've seen in Philippians, modeled this kind of life, denying themselves taking up their cross, taking up their towel, and following Jesus. So as you consider the people you're following in your life, are you following those who are truly following Jesus? Are you following those who are willing to embrace sacrifice and servanthood and suffering for the sake of Jesus? Are you following those who are willing to pick up a towel and serve others in love? Are you following those who've put Jesus first in their life? And they're not resisting the way of the cross, but they're embracing it. Another way of saying it in Philippians is uh, those who conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Are you following people like that? So that's how we know who's following Jesus. Lastly, I just want to close with a, a, a little exhortation. Let's follow Jesus together. Let's follow Jesus together. Chapter four, verse one, Paul says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Paul's exhorting these believers in Philippi to stand firm in the Lord and to do it together. There's a theme through Philippians about partnership and relationship and unity and and this idea that Paul has this relationship with the Philippians and they're united together and they're to to continue to work at living in unity and serving one another in love. And and Paul's just reminding them of that here. And he uses family language. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, 
And if you think about family, you think about some of the relationships maybe you have with family. And again, we've all had different kinds of relationships. Some have been good, some maybe not so good. But if you think about sort of the ideals of family relationships, families are supposed to rub off on each other. They're supposed to help mold and shape each other. Brothers and sisters, you know, as they interact and and rub shoulders with each other, they rub off on each other. Moms and dads, uncles and aunts, grandparents, you know, as they all influence each other, there's this connection that they all have and their life is, is sort of lived together and shared together. And we rub off on each other. And I think Paul uses this language, this sort of family language throughout the letter of Philippians to encourage the Philippian believers to stay committed to one another. Families in the ideal, we're committed to each other, right? We're we're in it for the long haul. We love each other. We serve each other. we, We rub off on each other. And in the context of following Jesus, I think Paul's reminding us here that our journey with Jesus is not meant to be lived alone. It's meant to be a shared journey with the family of faith. It's meant to be a shared journey with brothers and sisters in the Lord, with moms and dads in the Lord, with grandmas and grandpas in the Lord, and uncles and aunts in the Lord, and cousins in the Lord. And It's meant to be a shared journey, not to be lived alone. And so as we talk about this idea of being examples, you know, following Paul's example, following Timothy and Epaphrodites, and following the example of Christ, we're to follow each other's examples as we all follow Jesus together. We're to do it in community, in friendship, and in this context of family together. And the other word that jumps out at me in that verse, as Paul's exhorting them to stand firm in the Lord, he calls the Philippians his joy and crown. And we've been talking about this word joy. You know, we've called this series Joy Unlocked. And where is one of Paul's sources of joy It's in the Philippians. It's in these people that he's writing to. He calls them his joy. And as I was thinking about that this week, I know this past year of COVID has, it's been like, I can't even describe it. It's been so unusual and strange and difficult. And we've all sort of journeyed through it in different ways. And I think a lot of us are probably grasping at, you know, where do I find joy in the midst of this season? Last week, the encouragement was to rejoice in the Lord, which is very, very true. Today, I think the encouragement is to rejoice in one another, to find joy in relationship with one another. And I'm saying that to a room full of people who are spread out and wearing masks, and it's just not normal. So that the exhortation here, the challenge, I believe, is if we are to follow Jesus together and to do it in this sort of context of family, we're gonna have to really be creative and probably take a lot of initiative that we've never taken before and maybe actually go out of our way to pursue relationship with one another because this just isn't normal. And this is not an atmosphere that really creates relationship. And this, me talking to you, there's a degree of relationship if you're watching this on a screen at home, but it's not normal. We're meant to live together in relationship with one another. We're meant to rub off on each other and journey with Jesus together. And so I guess what I'm saying is don't be afraid to take some risks right now in pursuing relationship with people. 
And don't be afraid to take initiative where maybe you've never taken initiative before. Don't be afraid to pick up the phone and call somebody. Don't be afraid to text somebody. Don't be afraid to you know, physically distance, yell across the street at somebody. Whatever it takes to pursue relationship, we need each other. And we will be a source of joy as we follow Jesus together. We can be a joy to one another. We can help put a smile on each other's face. And I believe as Paul's writing this, this letter from his prison cell, wondering where in the world he's going to find joy, and he remembers these Philippians, and he says, I can reach out to them by letter, and I'll send sick Aphrodite to take the letter back to them. I, you know, I'll, somehow I'll find a way to continue to develop relationship with these people who are so important to me. And I really believe that's the word this morning. What are you going to do in your life, to pursue people that can follow Jesus together with you. And maybe you're in relationships like that already, and that is awesome. Who are some others that you can maybe invite into your circle? Who are some others that maybe God's put on your heart to reach out to and to bring into your life so that you can say, follow my example as I'm following Christ? I'm going to stop there because uh, there's probably more that could be said. But let's just, uh, let's pause, let's pray, let's stand. And uh, I'm going to invite the worship team to come. And uh, we're going to participate in communion in a moment. So if you've got your elements, get ready for that. And let me just pray. Let's invite Jesus to help us process his word this morning and uh, lead us towards communion. Jesus, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for your life, your death your resurrection, your ascension to glory. We thank you that you humbled yourself. When you stepped out of heaven, you took on the form of a servant. And you did it for us because you love us so much. You gave of yourself. You laid down your life so that we could have life. And you showed us the way of what following you looks like. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you to speak to each of us this morning as we process your word and digest it in our lives, that we would consider who are the people we're following? Who are we allowing to rub off on us? Who are the people who could help us follow you more intentionally, more passionately, more purely? Who are the people that we could surround ourselves with? Who are the people that we could be reaching out to to be an example to, to invite them to follow us as we follow Jesus. We're the people that we can be following Jesus together with. Holy Spirit, would you lead us into these questions and, and lead us to experience you at the table this morning, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen.